0: So, good morning once again. Now we come to the week number four of our 40 days of hope. And our reading today is taken from Psalm 127, verse 1. We have several passages. We will be going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but we will just have one scripture reading. And it's in Psalm 127, verse 1. May I request everyone to please stand as we give honor to the reading of God's Word. Let's read together. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Please take your seats. So, this is week number four, and the title of our message today Hope for My Marriage and Family. Hope for My Marriage and Family. According to God's original plan in the Bible, the family is our Lord's premier institution on earth before human governments were sanctioned, before the nation of Israel was birthed before the church was established by our lord god brought adam and eve into the union of marriage because the plan of god is to make marriage the basic unit of society the bible begins with wedding and the bible ends with the marriage feast of the land in the final chapters of Revelation so from beginning to end the Bible is a book devoted to the health, happiness and holiness of marriages, homes and families even our Lord Jesus Christ's first miracle occurred in a wedding in Cana if you remember and the book of Hebrews says marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. We know that marriage was designed by God to promote human happiness and holiness. And this is the foundation of our societies. But we know what's happening in our modern families today. Our families today has far changed from what it was many years ago and i don't need to tell you that you know the assaults waged against the family you know the attacks made against the family today you know there's adultery same sex marriage live in relationships polygamy immorality you know there's drugs teenage pregnancies and premarital sex all of these assaulting our families today and if you remember we just had a series last month of June about biblical marriage biblical manhood and womanhood and we have seen how the enemy has twisted the meaning and definition of marriage you know there's so much perversion corruption in our modern families today and families are crying families today are disintegrating families are crying out so what's the status of your home today brethren how strong is your marriage how strong and how happy and holy is your family today now in his book learned optimism dr martin selayman made an insightful statement about today's culture. He said one of the reasons why so many people are dealing with life-threatening illnesses, deepening depression, it's because one by one, we, we've allowed the institutions that provide common support for us to be assaulted so they are no longer in place. We have lost our faith in God, we, we no longer believe our nation can provide the support we need or the comfort and security we enjoyed in the past. And our families have failed. When people face major challenges in life, they look around and find that the common support that has been there in the past has vanished so if you're worried about your home you're in good company you're in the good place because every one of us has fixing family issues and our families are under assault but brethren the good news is this we have our hope and our help in god amen we have our hope and we have our help in god Now, according to Psalm 127, verse 1, Solomon wrote this Psalm Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know what Solomon is writing here? He's saying it's in vain, it's useless if we try to build our marriages and our homes with our own hands, with our own efforts, it will not avail. The enemy is just too strong to destroy. But the Bible says, if God is the builder of our home, if God is the one securing our home, then there is hope for your family and for my family, brethren. We don't have to be so much overwhelmed with the problems besetting families today. We have hope in God. And so, if we believe that God loves our families, that God loves you, your children, your spouse, then we should believe that He is ready to infuse us with the supernatural help and the hope that we need so that our families will stand. So unless the Lord builds the house, the family that builds it labors in vain. Unless it is the Lord that guards our home, no matter how we try to put securities and CCTVs, it will never be safe. Because our safety, listen, our safety, our ultimate Strength and safety lies in the Lord alone. He is our hope. And so brethren, I'd like to share this morning, of course, again coming from the book of Dr. David Jeremiah, steps to protecting your marriage and family. Alright? Three steps. These are three steps these are not new principles these are age-old principles engraved in the bible so that we can bring hope to families and marriages today so are you ready so let's begin with the first principle number one return to the word of god as the source of authority return to the word of god As the source of authority. That's the first step, brethren. One of the major reasons why our homes today are disintegrating, why our homes today are being corrupted, because we have abandoned the authority of the scripture, the authority of the word of God over our homes. Families today have neglected their Bibles. We have set it aside in cabinets being dusted. We have forgotten that the foundation of the nations, the foundation of human governments, it all starts with the principles of the Bible. We need to understand, brethren, that the concept of familyhood was God's. It was never coming from Adam and Eve and from human institution. It came from the heart of God. So if it is His idea, then He has given us the authority. He has given us the body of literature, the book of information and instruction so that we can understand how the family and the marriage will work so it's very basic brethren it's going back to the authority of the scripture we have replaced the scripture brethren with what with social media with what's trending you know we have we have you know we have replaced it with what's what's dominant in our culture today and that is why all sorts of problems are besetting our families. Throughout all His Word, the Lord has given clear testimony of the principles and the values that ought to be ours in our families today, brethren. And we see from the pages of the Bible, when God's principles are not followed, you always find trouble. Every time the commandments of God and the principles of God are abandoned, You will always find from the pages of the Scripture testimonies of what? Of failures, of family crises, because God's Word is no longer the authority. In the book of Genesis, we read the story of Jacob's home in crises. You know, one of the most colorful families in the Bible is the family of Jacob. You know, Jacob, he had two wives, you know, Leah and Rachel, and two concubines, and from these four women comes 12 sons. And you know the colorful story of of Jacob. The fight, the betrayal, the violence, the favoritism, the bloodshed, the deceit, the prostitution, and all sorts of sordid activity coming out from this family. And even Jacob himself said this, In Genesis 42, verse 36, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. You know that word bereaved? What do we call a family that are going through grief because of the passing away of a loved one? The bereaved family. In other words, Jacob is saying, You have grieved me. All these things are against me. Friends, if you need hope for your children or your home, just think about Jacob. Jacob had all sorts of problems with his family. Fighting wives, fighting children, you know, there's murder. All these things, according to Jacob, are against him. Yet there was hope for Jacob. You know why? Why? Because as long as the Bible and His principles are followed, there's always hope. Let's jump directly to the last pages, or I mean last chapter of Genesis, towards the ending. To our amazement, by the time we get to the end of the book of Genesis, we see the gathering of these fighting brothers. After all the deceit, and hatred, notice what Joseph said, but as for you, referring to his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God, look at this, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is in this day to save many people alive. You know what, what that tells us? When we put God and His Word as our authority, even though Our families would go through some sorts of evil. When we trust God and when we go back, when we return to God's word as our authority, God can always turn it around for good. Amen? So let me tell you this. If you have a problematic husband or wife, if you have problematic children, there is hope for your family. Look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Now, Deuteronomy, this is now the, the summary of, of all God's principles and commandments. Deuteronomy was, was written by, by Moses. This was his very long sermon reminding the whole nation of Israel as they are about to enter the promised land. Moses is Recapitulating all the teachings, all the commandments of God. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the most important. One of the most important chapter. In fact, they always recite this every day. This is known as the Shema. This is known as the Shema. The word Shema there comes from that word here. Right? Hear. It's a command. Hear this. So they recite the Shema every day. And notice this, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Remember, Jesus called this command, the greatest commandment. Remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Right? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You see? Shall be in your heart. So Moses is once again reminding us, reminding his God's people that for us to live well in the place where God would put us, his word must be encapsulated in our heart as our main source of authority. You shall teach them, take now, teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Notice here the importance. Every, every Jewish father is reminded to teach God's word to his children. You know? In all affairs of life, as you talk, as you sit, before you sleep. You know, we have, this, we have this tradition of telling stories to our children before they sleep. But the biblical way, we should tell them stories and not just fantasy stories, but stories in the Bible. Maybe you have forgotten that. Those of you parents of little ones, little babies... You know, don't just tell them about the story of Snow White, of Cinderella. You know, no, not those stories. Tell them about the stories of the goodness of God. Tell them the stories of, of God in the lives of people. That's the problem today. Our kids know about Cinderella. They know about, about you know Snow White. But they are ignorant about David and Goliath. They're ignorant about Moses, about Noah. See? That's what God was telling Moses to teach all the fathers. You shall bind them a sign in your hand and they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes here. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. See that? So here, brethren, God's premier... Formula for a healthy and happy home. Right? Let, let me summarize that into three you know, principles. One, we must love the Lord our God before anything else. All right. If we want our families to be strong, if we want our marriage to be strong, that it can, it can face all storms of life, we must choose to love the Lord our God before anything else. Number two, we must love His Word and read it constantly. That's the idea. That's the idea that God was given to Moses. If you want your life in, in this land that I'm giving you, make sure that you love my Word and keep it. Make it the foundation of your home. That is why, if you remember, in our our Christian wedding, there's always that portion, there's always that symbolism, aside from the veil and the cord, you know, the the exchange of rings, there's always the Bible, remember? The, The minister would always give the Bible to the couple, and the minister would say, Take this. This is God's Word. Make this the foundation of your home. Make this the authority of your family. If you're going to have a happy, holy, and and healthy family and marriage, then love the Word of God. Read it. And third, the Scripture should overflow naturally into our family affairs. That's what God was saying. The Scripture... You know, when you go, when you travel, when you sit down, you know, when you do your walking, the word of God must overflow, take note, naturally. Right? Maybe we need to redo that. How we can infuse God's word in our normal conversations while we are eating our dinner, right? Or breakfast. How can we naturally infuse the Word of God in our conversation? Maybe we need to redo that, brethren. The reason why we have wayward children, rebellious children today, because we have abandoned God's Word as our authority. Now, in the New Testament, we have a very good and classic example of how God's Word is so important in family generations, in the passing, no? From one generation to others. Look at 2 Timothy 1.5. Here, Paul writing to young Timothy I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So, Paul is saying, you know what, Timothy? Your sincere faith in the Lord today, I know where it starts. It started with your grandmother and your grandmother passed it to, you know, to her daughter, to your mother, your niece. And now, I, am, I can see that in you. Amen? I can see that in you. And notice this, when you jump to chapter 3, Paul went on to say, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. And what have and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Of course, Paul again was referring to what? To whom? To, to to his grandmother and mother. And how from infancy, notice this, how from infancy you have known the holy scripture. So here we have a glimpse that that while Young Timothy was growing up. Grandmother Lois and mother Eunice were telling Timothy the scriptures, the stories of the Old Testament. Notice this. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Timothy is wise and he is saved because from infancy, the scripture, the Bible was being taught to him by his parents. All Scripture is God-breathed. In, in, in other words, all Scripture, every portion of the Scripture, every word, every tittle, every iota in the Scripture comes from the mouth of God. And the Bible says, and it is useful what? For, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, training in righteousness. Friends, those Four words, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. That means that the Word, the Bible, should be our highest authority in the home. Whenever we are having a problem deciding what is right and what is wrong, always go back to the pages of the Scripture. They will teach us the truth and they will teach us what is right. So again, that's the first thing that we must do. Return to the Word of God as the source of authority. Brethren, it's never too late. Now for those of you aging mothers and fathers, maybe some of us feels like, you know, I haven't done that. You know, my kids are grown-ups already. It's hard, Pastor. They, They have their lives now. Well, To those of you grandparents, somehow, if you have missed, if you have failed to teach your children, there is hope. You have grandchildren, right? (laughs) Remember Lois, the grandmother? See, you can start infusing God's Word to your grandchildren. If you have missed teaching them God's Word when your kids were young, it's never too late to tell them now, and it's never too late to teach your grandchildren. Brethren, if we want hope for our families and marriages, let's return to the word of God as the source of our authority. Second, reestablish, reestablish the church as the place where families are nurtured. If there's to be hope for our families, we need to re-establish the church as the main place where families are nurtured. All right? Now a story is told about a small village that built a school on the edge of a cliff. All right. And this small village, you know, very, they were so proud of their school. this is in a very remote place and, and they were so happy that they could send their kids to the school but the, in order for the kids to go to that school, they have to go through a very narrow pathway on the sides of the cliff, a very tall mountain. And so kids would love to go there, enjoy, but you know what? once in a while, accidents happen. Kids would fall. Right? Kids would fall. Some of them immediately die. Some of them are injured. And you know, those kids that are injured, they have to be rushed, you know, on a stretcher to a clinic that is in the next village. And sometimes by the time the kids or, you know, the, the injured kid would arrive, he's already dead. They're dead. So sad. And so, the community had to to decide on something. So, they decided to have their own clinic at the bottom of the cliff. Alright? So, they were raising funds and they were so enthusiastic. Imagine for them, you know, they have their own clinic at the bottom of the cliff so that when there are accidents, you know, they have a closer, they don't have to go to the next village to bring their injured kids. And so they were so enthusiastic in raising funds, but there were some others, a few, who are saying, instead of building a clinic here, you know, it's good. Why not build fences? (laughs) Why not build fences on this narrow path to protect our kids? And so there was a debate Having a clinic is more glamorous than having fences. You know what, brethren? I don't know what happened to that village if the fences were put, but definitely the clinic stood. But you know what, brethren? A lot of us, most of us in the church today are building clinics and not fences. (laughs) A lot of churches today are like, what, clinics where we simply bring sick people. But that's not the problem. The problem is really how to prevent our kids from falling. So instead of building clinics, where while it is good, we need to build fences. We need to be more preventive rather than responsive. A lot of churches today, we are simply responding to the problem and not preventing the problem. That's why it's important that we need to reestablish the church. We need to, you know, refocus our attention. Instead of putting out fires, we need to prevent fires from happening in the home. That is why it's important to have the church as the main preventive institution. You know? Our ministry should be more on prevention rather than responding. That is why Paul wrote this. He wrote this to Titus. Titus was starting a new church in the island of Crete. And, of course, there are families there. And so the focus of, of Paul... Very clever, inspired by the Spirit. If you want to have a healthy church, Titus, you need to have healthy families. <laughs> because the families are what will compose are the church. And so notice what Paul wrote to Titus. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. See, teaching, Doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. So he starts with the fathers to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and in love and endurance. See? So the the church is the nurturing community for families. Alright? We teach them how to live, how to act, how to be responsible fathers. So that we will have problems in the future. So, teach older men men, listen, fathers, listen. Be temperate. All right? In other words, have self control. Don't use your position as a father that you can just enrage yourself and shout and use your position to hurt your children and wife. Be worthy of respect. You know, self control, sound in faith. Likewise, teach the older women. So, these are the wives. Wives, are you listening? To be reverent in the way they live. See? Reverent. In other words, the way you should live, there should be honor and respect given to your husband. Not to be slanderers. Kanang sigiglibak sa silingan. Or addicted to much wine. So, palahubug, dining mga wives secrete. Women, are you listening? Uh, huh? Not addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So here, Paul is already saying that, you know, wives, women, you ought to be teacher to your own children. You know, teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and to be pure, all right? Notice the importance here, the passing of generation. It's important that the church is bringing values and order in the family and that Paul's instruction to Titus is what? Is that of what? Passing the values to the next generation. See, he he starts with the older men and women so that they can Teach and set a good example to the younger couples that should be the, the dynamics of the church to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. you see you see how how Paul connects the the kind of character and manners of the family, how it affects the Word of God. So God wants us to be good neighbors so that our neighbors will know that we are following the Word of God. That's the point of Paul. If, if our neighbors always hear there's so much shouting and brawling and in our homes and then they see us go to church every Sunday And they would be confused. Is this what their church is teaching? All right? Is this what their church is teaching? See? So there is the passing of what? The values from one generation to the next. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self controlled in everything, set them an example. Friends, this is how values are passed on from generation to generation. It is teaching and living. Teaching and living. That's the dynamics here. And friends, that is why in Bradford Church, you know, we, prove, we put premium value on our what? On our couples network. You see? We, we have our B groups. We have our system of Ates and Kuyas. So we always find, you know, older couples as examples in our church we looked up to them and we, we even have this tradition that you know before younger younger couples are married okay there there's there's a sort of a fellowship with the older couples giving their advices you know remember this when when we were when we were getting married you know the older couples were there They were invited to the network and there is the passing of what of values and we always look at to our ates and kuyas, to our nanay and tatay in our church. That's the, that's the way the church should, you know, should, should do ministry. That we see the teaching as being, you know, embodied and and, I'm looking for the right word, uh, modeled by the older couples. So it's being taught and it's being caught by the eyes, right? That's the most important thing. It's going back to the basic, reestablishing the church. Friends, that's what we should do in the church. And third and last, resolve to take responsibility for our families. Resolve to take responsibility for our families. There's a, this is the m- most important part. If we want our families to be healthy and happy and strong, then you and I, you know, either you're a mother, you're a father, you have to resolve. You have to make a strong decision that I'm going to be responsible for the spiritual welfare of my family. You have to stand up for it. Each of us must resolve to take personal accountability and responsibility to become the best husband, the best wife, the best son, the best daughter, the best grandmother, the best grandfather that we can be. So that our homes, our marriage will reflect the glory of God. Alright? So we have to give it our best. We have to go back to the scripture, we have to allow the church to nurture us, and we take the responsibility of building our homes with God. Alright, now we have a good example here from the New Testament, Cornelius. You know Cornelius? In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Look at verse 1 and 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Now, this is very important. This is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. He is not yet a believer. But notice what the Bible says. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, something that we must understand from this verse. Take note. He and all his family. Remember, we are talking here of a very male leadership culture. The Roman Empire. This is a culture in which women have no voice in the family. And yet, look at this. He and all his family were devout. Why? Because here's a man who was a devout believer of God. Notice this. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed. Take note. He prayed to God regularly. So this man is responsible for the faith of his family. You know why? Because he is exemplifying it. He is setting the example. This is not yet a Christian. He's just a believer of a universal God. That's why God called Peter to go to this man's house. Because God heard his prayers. Because God was, you know, God's attention was caught by this man. He's a Gentile. He's not a believer. He is not a Jew. And yet, there is so much potential in this man. Because this man is responsible for the faith of his family. That's why God literally picked up Peter from Jerusalem. Peter, I want you to go to Caesarea because I want you, there's a person elect there. He needs to hear the gospel. And you know, let's jump to verse 24. Peter came, Peter spoke and preached the gospel. And you know what happened? This is what is written. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. See? You're talking here of a man who is really influential. He he called not only his family, his relatives and friends, please come together. Alright? Now let's jump to verse 33. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And what happened? Verse 48, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Here's a man who is responsible, not just for himself, but for the faith of his whole family. And take note, this is the beginning. Listen, this is very important in church history because Acts chapter 10 is the beginning. This is the birth of, Of the Gentile Church remember the church was still purely Jewish in Acts chapter 2 this is the first Gentile Church in the house of Cornelius a man who is devout and prayerful and you know he he took the effort of bringing all his relatives to listen to Peter another good example of this of a person really standing firm okay is the woman the lady Lydia in Acts chapter 16 something similar happened Lydia is a businesswoman all right and Paul was there in 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 this is in Philippi in the town of Philippi and this is the beginning of the Philippian church by the way one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. Now, we know that she's rich because purple at the time is a luxurious thing. You know, it's very expensive, right? So Lydia is a dealer of this purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, same as Cornelius, but not yet a Christian she worships the living god but doesn't know this god personally the lord opened her heart to respond to paul's message see it is god who opens hearts not us paul simply tells the message that's not my job to open your heart my job is simply to tell god's message it is god's job it is god's work to open people's hearts all right so this is a very good principle Pray to God that God will open the heart of your one. But it's you that will share the message. Now, when she and the members of her household were baptized, see, take note, she and the members of her household, and, and you're saying, where's the husband? Now, probably, you know, she's a widow already. There's no mention of husband there. She and the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. She, Lydia, brought all his family to faith amen and then a final example is in acts 18:8 8. here's another person crispus then crispus the ruler of the synagogue take note believe in the lord with all his household and many of the corinthians hearing and believe and were baptized okay what's the point in these stories brethren What's the point? What's the application here? Let me just sum it up in three things. Number one, you find here, as responsible parent, as responsible husband or wife, be intentional. Be intentional in bringing your children or bringing your wife. If your wife is not a believer, be intentional in bringing your wife to the Lord. If you're a wife and your husband is not yet a believer, be intentional in bringing your husband to the Lord. Two, take initiative. Take initiative. All right? Do what is necessary. Okay? Do what is necessary. Three, inspire. You know, inspire them. Inspire them. Let them see that you yourself is blessed. You yourself is changed. Set them that example. Inspire them. Right? Now, let me close with, with this story. You know, taken from lessons from my parent, Stephanie Porter. This is a story of Stephanie Porter. Recall the time when she and her brothers were playing. You know, they were so excited playing. And then their mother stopped them because she had lost her wedding ring and was frantically looking for it. And so she asked her children to kneel and pray. And so, you know, the kids, they were, they were playing. And then mother says, you know what? I lost my, my, my wedding ring. And so they stopped. They, they held hands together and prayed. As soon as the amen was finished, they jumped immediately and, and went back to their playing. But then, you know, her five-year-old brother, as, as he slipped a foot into his snow boot, immediately pulled it back because he found the ring. All right? And so they ran back to their parents, you know. They have forgotten about their play and they were so excited to show the ring to the mother and said mom God answered our prayer God answered our prayer now it was a lesson that transcended generation because later on Stephanie you know she got married she had children she also did the same thing taught her children to pray in whatever situation whether it's just missing a coin it's imparting values that whenever we have a problem, we don't just bring to God our big problems. The value, passing of values there is that even in little things, we come together and pray. And Stephanie hoped that her daughters would learn the faith and would pass it on to their children as well. Friends, when we truly walk with the Lord, we're able to assume responsibility for channeling hope into our marriages and into our homes. I hope we make the decision what Paul said in Romans 12:12: 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Rejoice in in hope, in doing this, brethren, you'll find strong grounds for hope in your marriage and in your family. So, return to the Word of God as a source of authority. Re-establish the church as the place where families are nurtured. And so, brethren, I encourage you. Once you know our city is okay when we can go back to church please please go back to church go back to sunday school bring your kids to sunday school join b groups because this is the place the church is god's place where our families are to be nurtured and third make a strong resolution resolve to take responsibility for our families amen now why don't we close in prayer for indeed blessed is he whose health is in the god of jacob whose hope is in the lord father in heaven you are the hope for our marriages and for our families oh god we look to you lord for help father We ask for a miracle for our homes. We ask for a miracle for our marriages. Maybe, Lord, there are marriages today that are going through some storms, tough times. Father in heaven, you are the one that bound that marriage, so God, to becoming one. I pray for that marriage right now. Infuse your hope, Lord, into this husband and wife that they will be able to resolve their problems, trusting you, O God, as the source, the foundation of that home. Father, I want to pray for problematic families. Bless the parents, Lord. Help them, Lord, to have that wonderful hope that yes, there is a solution to this problem. Jesus is the solution. Bring your miracle, Lord, to that home, to that family. May your name be magnified and be glorified in our marriages and in our homes. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.